Welcome to Aches and Gains, a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, pain specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Pain has reached epidemic proportions, and chronic pain affects a staggering 25% or more of the population. Its human impact is real and is felt by infants, children, all the way to older adulthood. But there's hope and there's treatment. This show offers compelling stories of those who found relief and offers insight into treatment that can ease pain and human suffering. Are you afraid of developing pain as you get older? Many are afraid and with good reason. Older adults are the fastest growing segment of the world's population and pain is the most common reason they seek medical care. Persistent pain ranges from 25 to 50% of older adults and this rises with age. In fact, as we reach the latter portion of our lives, we're more likely to suffer from conditions like osteoarthritis, low back pain, neuropathic pain like shingles and after shingles pain, pain after surgery, and cancer pain. Fortunately, chronic pain is not an inevitable part of aging. Treatment can be more complicated, but the barriers to proper pain control are lifting. During today's show, we'll hear a story of success from Manny Belmore, an active 76-year-old retired mathematician who's overcome severe spinal pain. We'll then be joined by Dr. Perry Fine, who will talk about what's special about treating pain in older adults. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulcristomd.com. That's paulcristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Manny Belmore is a 76-year-old retired mathematician who continues to serve as a consultant and volunteer. His active and vibrant lifestyle was abruptly halted by severe low back pain and shooting leg pain from a disc herniation. The expertise of a pain specialist and guidance of a spine surgeon brought Manny his life back, and he's here to tell us what happened. Manny, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you, Paul. You're 76 years old. Up to this point, you've been healthy until last year when you experienced excruciating low back pain. Tell us what happened. It started as a minor pain in my back, probably around June 29th or 30th. Within a day or so, it was not minor at all. Um, after a few days and before the end of the 4th of July weekend, it had traveled down my leg and the pain was uh, pretty extreme. Did you ever try to grin and bear it and wish that it would go away? Wish that it would go away, yes. <laughs> uh, grin and bear it. It was really tough to grin during those days. And over what period of time did you have this pretty excruciating low back and shooting leg pain? I mean, was it a couple of days, weeks, or even months? Maybe a few more days, one week. By that time, it was just obviously extreme. How was your life affected? It stopped it. I sat in the den of my home and watched television. I have seen television before, but I've never seen hours and hours of television in one day. It stopped all of the productive work that I do and and that part of my work um, while I am retired it is important to me. I sought the help of my primary care physician and he uh, called for an MRI, he called for a um, some form of steroid and again I don't know exactly what kind but, but you probably do. 
Yes, it's called a steroid or medrol dose pack. The six pills seemed to give me a little bit of relief, but very quickly after we ran out of the pills, the pain came back uh, as fierce as it had been before. What else did the primary care physician prescribe, and how effective was it? He also uh, prescribed uh, some uh, narcotics to, uh, to help the pain. That the pain was not quite so extreme, but nonetheless, I was counting the hours until I could take the next pill. The MRI required me to lie relatively still and flat out on my back, um, a position in which the pain increased um, to the point that it was unbearable and I could not complete the MRI, although they did get a partial scan or one scan but I believe that scan had artifacts because I was moving. Well, it's amazing that you could lie flat at all given the degree of pain you were in. Manny, tell us, who did you see next? Um, I have a friend who is a pain doctor, and uh, I have lunch with him once a month. I contacted him, and he told me there are several different kinds of pain doctors. Actually, yes, there are some differences. There are some pain doctors who focus on medications, and there are others that focus on just nerve blocks, and then there are others like myself who do both. Uh, The one he thought I ought to see is not the kind of pain doctor that he is, and instead suggested someone that had come up through anesthesia and was dealing in epidural steroid injections. And in fact, he suggested your name. I'm glad he did, and I'm glad I was able to help. At this stage, a lot of patients see spine surgeons. Did you? Oh, uh, you're correct. I had seen a spine surgeon. He also gave me narcotics and was getting ready to suggest uh, spine surgery. And that's really when I contacted my friend who was a, a pain doctor. When you came to me and my team, we did a detailed history and physical examination and then recommended an epidural steroid injection. Will you describe for us how effective it was? Unbelievable. At the time, I did not realize that there's an anesthetic that's part of the steroid injection. Because of that, I got instantaneous pain relief for the first time in a long time. I got off of the table and could not believe uh, the relief of pain. Uh, The actual steroid takes a couple of days before it really takes effect. But at no time was I in much discomfort. And certainly within two or three days, I was started a almost completely pain-free existence that lasted for seven months. That's one of the remarkable aspects of epidural steroid injections for acute disc herniations. When we come back, we'll talk to Manny about what happened after those seven months of near-complete pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, a leading pharmaceutical company focused in specialty-driven markets, including pain management, and dedicated to improving and protecting quality of life for people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back. Manny, tell us what happened after those seven months of great pain relief. Well, the pain came back. It came back gradually. It, uh, by gradually, I mean I suddenly became aware that, wait a minute, I'm not totally pain-free, but I'm also not in great pain. And then a day or so later, I'm aware that I'm in more pain, but not extreme pain. I was able to make an appointment. I got to see you. 
Um, you asked about the pain, and I said it's identical to the pain before. Yes, I remember. We performed an epidural steroid injection at another spinal level, which only gave you one to two days of relief. So we started some specific medicines. Which ones are you using now, and how beneficial are they? I use uh, 250 milligrams of Lyrica a day, 50 milligrams of uh, Tramadol every day, I use between 2 grams and 3 grams of acetaminophen a day, and maybe 3 days a month I'm using uh, 2 tramadol, uh, or 100 milligrams of tramadol, and maybe 1 day a month 150 milligrams of tramadol. And I'm essentially out of pain and do not seem to be suffering any of the side effects other than dry mouth. That's a good example of how effective a combination of drugs for pain can be. A follow-up MRI then showed a severe disc herniation in the low back at L4, L5, pushing up against the spinal cord and nerves. So we decided to send you to a spine surgeon. What was his recommendation? He showed me the MRI, and although I have no training to read an MRI, it was scary. Uh, he started at the, it started at the top of the MRI and it looked like a spine. And then when it got to the scoliosis, the curvature, uh, it was just frightening. And, and to realize how much compression was being placed on my nerves, I now really understood the pain. Yes. But what he said, there were three options. Continue with a medical solution. There would have been a uh, or two different surgical solutions. One was a laminectomy, and one would have been a fusion. Amanda, you bring up a difficult dilemma. Do you have uh, the precautionary spine surgery to protect the spinal cord, or do you continue the medications that are providing a high quality of life? I sought a second opinion from another neurosurgeon. That opinion uh, was favored the the uh, uh, medical solution and his reasoning, which he shared with me, went as follows. If there's no function that I can't do and I'm not in pain, that he would recommend the medical solution. I think that's a great plan. Manny, do many older adults simply ignore their pain and feel that it's simply part of growing old? Yes, because as you certainly have heard, uh, when you get older, it's going to be painful. And it's just part of the, you know, just grin and bear it. But given everything you've gone through, do you still feel that older adults should just grin and bear it? Uh, There's now a whole specialty devoted to pain, and there wasn't when I was younger. Uh, And I think that whole thing that when you get older, it'll be painful, uh, comes uh, long before there are people who have devoted themselves to finding solutions for pain. I think a person in pain ought to seek help. Before we close... What is your advice to older Americans who are suffering from pain? Not to assume that pain is a part of your life. Unless you get relief from the primary care physician, you should be heading into one of the pain specialties uh, because there now are physicians who specialize in pain management, and obviously that's where you belong. As to which of the many modalities of pain treatment might might be good for an individual patient. Um, That's why you need to go seek out someone who specializes in those modalities. If you can do what is important in your life and do it without pain, 
things are so much more rewarding. They are for me. As far as I'm concerned, the right medications have given me my life back because it was essentially gone. Manny, it's really gratifying for me to hear that you've got your life back. And thank you for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Thank you. When we come back, Dr. Perry Fine will talk about what's unique about treating pain in older adults. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. I'd like to introduce Dr. Perry Fine. Dr. Fine is a professor in the Department of Anesthesiology at the University of Utah School of Medicine. He's a faculty member in the Pain Research Center, is past president of the American Academy of Pain Medicine, and also served on the board of directors of the American Pain Foundation. Dr. Fine, welcome to Aches and Gains. Uh, Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Paul. Dr. Fine, will you first tell us what older adult means? I mean, what age group are we looking at? Older generally refers to people in the um, over 65 age group. And Perry, what, what percentage of the country is considered older? We're looking now over the next few years of even up to a quarter of the population um, being viewed as, uh, as older. Yes, you know, 25% of the population is pretty big. And in fact, if we talk about pain and aging, it's not known by many, but by 2050, the number of older persons globally will exceed the number of young persons for the first time in history. And chronic conditions like pain will increase in prevalence as the population ages. Right. And, and this is sort of a, a truism. Um, what's not true is that people should have to accept pain as an inevitability that they have to somehow live with or be disabled by. And that's the important differentiator. And Perry, what percentage of older adults suffer from pain? It may be anywhere from 20 to 85%, depending on the population. And that 85% number is staggering in the older adult nursing home population who suffers from significant pain that's extremely undertreated. Perry, tell us, how does pain specifically affect the lives of older adults? Uh, It may impair function, impair sleep, impair um, social relations impair ability to work if they're still actively working. Uh, we'll have mood impairments, anxiety, depression, and so on with chronic pain. That's a long list of consequences of pain in older adulthood. Let's move on to what the science tells us about what's happening when we process pain as we age. Well, that's really an interesting area. And I think it's fair to say now that we have to be particularly keen to the fact that as people do age and have particular problems, especially things like osteoarthritis, and that, in fact, their responses may be amplified. That's right. Dr. Fine, older adults use an average of two to five prescription medications regularly, plus over-the-counter ones. What changes in our physiology as we age, and how, how does it affect the pain medicines that we take? Body composition changes, that is the fat-to-muscle ratio changes, and so the uh, distribution of drugs um, changes, and so there may be more available drug um, in an older person to act um, in the central nervous system. And we have to be, I think, even keener about the, um, the uh, potential for drug-drug interaction. And Perry, the other important point is that kidney function decreases so that drugs that are eliminated through the kidney can accumulate, which may raise toxicity in older adults. When we continue, we'll talk to Dr. Fine about what kind of pain we're especially likely to encounter as we age. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. 
Aches and Gains is sponsored by Neurogesics, a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing novel pain management therapies. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. And we're back. Perry, what kind of pain are we most likely to encounter as we get older? <clears throat> Certainly, I mean, I, I'm just going to list them like a laundry list. Degenerative joint disease, rheumatoid arthritis, lower back pain, osteoporosis, peripheral vascular disease, post-stroke pain, increased uh, propensity towards leg cramps at night, obviously pressure ulcers in individuals who are bedridden, and, and then oral and dental lesions that can cause pain, post-amputation problems, contractures, headaches, um, fibromyalgia. The list just goes on, doesn't it? <laughs> but yeah, this whole area of neuropathic pain. Um, the one that we've left out, uh, diabetic uh, neuropathic pain. Wow, that's a formidable list of challenges that potentially could await us as we age. But let's not forget that pain is not an inevitable process of aging. And even if we do develop pain, there are effective treatments that are available to help control it. Dr. Fine, let's talk about those treatments. In the absence of, of a true indication or of a problem to negatively impact a person's quality of life, then I think that using non-pharmacological methods to manage whatever pain can be is a, is a starting point. The clearest, safest pharmacological approach, and that's acetaminophen. You know, the, the four-gram rule a day still seems to prevail. How about the anti-inflammatory medications like naproxen and Motrin? I mean, there's been quite a bit of fear, I would say, related to the use of those products in not only older adults, but in the adult population in general. Yeah, I mean, all the, all the data suggests that uh, the anti-inflammatories, both uh, selective and non-selective, um, are highly effective and really almost seem miraculous. The problem is that there is this high risk of, uh, of GI uh, bleeding, uh, either gastric or, or, or below. The American Geriatric Society, in, in reviewing this, has concluded that unless there is really dire need and there is no other safer approach, that chronic or ongoing use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs um, should be reserved for um, only those individuals for whom there is no safer solution. Let's move to the ever-controversial area of opioids. The American Geriatric Society, in fact, ranks them higher for the use of persistent pain in older adults than the use of anti-inflammatories now. In your experience, Dr. Fine, how effective are opioids for the treatment of pain? You know, they can, they, they can certainly be helpful. They are, are certainly also problematic. And if we look at all the different drug categories or abilities, uh, non-pharmacological and pharmacological classes of drugs, I think the conclusion they came to, based upon the, the evidence, if you look at, at drug trials, most of them exclude older individuals. Meanwhile, back to the ranch with the question, can these be drugs be helpful? Yes. And so I think the issue then is how they're prescribed and how people are mon- managed and monitored. Very true. What do you think about the tricyclic antidepressants for treating pain in older adults? There are some, some clear benefits to the tricyclic antidepressants as adjuvant analgesics, and the norepinephrine serotonin um, inhibition, so-called SNRIs. And that would be venlafaxine, perhaps, and duloxetine. And duloxetine, of course, uh, does have indications. Duloxetine has a lot of drug drug interactions. Um, and so it's not that these are absolute contra- should be contraindicated, and they just need to be um, used with great caution and can be used very effectively, again, if titrated very slowly or in very low doses. Perry, what's your experience with topical anti-inflammatories and topical anesthetic agents, muscle relaxants, and anticonvulsants? 
like pregabalin and gabapentin. And let's start there with the anticonvulsants. Yeah, I think these are, are um, generally uh, cleaner drugs. But again, if titrated slowly, um, they may end up with far less in the way of adverse effects compared with um, some of the other drugs. And so I think that this is a, a you know very good starting place. And uh, the muscle relaxants? I think, you know, it's flexoril or cyclobenzaprine is a tricyclic in and of itself. And um, you can never titrate it up enough to be an antidepressant because it just has too many side effects. I think for, a, 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 for acute acute painful muscle spasm or uh, an intermittent acute problem, flexoril or cyclobenzaprine may in fact be somewhat helpful. Two big categories um, that are safest and most commonly used and at least are worth the effort to try because of safety issues is topical um, local anesthetics. Um, There's a 5% lidocaine patch, but there's also um, Sonera, S-Y-N-E-R-A, and it's a combination of lidocaine and tetracaine, it actually drives the local anesthetic deeper into the tissues. The NSAIDs, um, again, the good news is that there's very little in the way of systemic absorption. And so again, for localized um, areas, I think it's, it's always worth a shot. And then there's the 8% capsaicin patch. Right. And that's effective for the treatment of post-herpetic neuralgia or after shingles pain. Perry, Tell us about the non-drug treatments that are effective for older adults, like transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation, or TENS, and acupuncture. Yeah, um, TENS, again, uh, you know, electrical stimulation of one sort or another, you know, hit or miss acupuncture, hit or miss. You know, people who sort of believe in it and want to go there, it's really a matter of what people can afford or are interested in. But in optimizing people's health, exercise. The axiom is actually, I move, I, I get through it, I work through it slowly and and progressively, and then all of a sudden I start feeling a lot better physically, functional improvement, and a lot better emotionally and cognitively. Um, And that's toning, strengthening, range of motion, and balance, balance exercises in order to prevent falls and, and, um, and, uh, you know, reduce that risk over the course of time. Dr. Fine, thank you very much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Thanks so much, Paul. Really appreciate it. Tune in next time when we explore another interesting topic on Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulcristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Lorraine from Kansas City writes, I have pain in my knees only at night. It keeps me awake, but responds to acetaminophen to some extent. If it's really bad, I have to take naproxen. I've always had difficulty rising from a kneeling position, but otherwise my knees don't hurt during the day. My x-rays show normal knee joints with some minor roughness of both patellae. Could my knee pain be due to patellar roughening? If so, what would help? Would physical therapy or knee exercises help? I already do leg lifts with mild weights. Lorraine, you may have some prepatellar bursitis, which usually presents with knee swelling and pain on the top of the knee around the kneecap. It's commonly caused by trauma or direct pressure from repetitive kneeling. Treatments that can be helpful consist of draining the fluid in the knee causing the swelling, ice, or anti-inflammatories like naproxen or ibuprofen. Avoiding the squatting position or flexing the knee more than 90 degrees is also helpful. If it persists, then a steroid can be injected into the inflamed bursa. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo 
and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vohr and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.